This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Words matter, especially when it comes to the scriptures. One of the most important distinctions is the difference between justification and sanctification. Steve Seekin shares why knowing the difference helps us to understand what the Messiah's role was and what we are obligated to do in return. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Look at that, you actually made it. Welcome to the end of the week. <laughs> Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Let me tell you a little story. When I was first introduced to the Torah and how it related to me as a believer, I went to a sermon by a Pentecostal pe preacher uh, who titled his message, Jesus and the Torah, Never the Twain Shall Meet. Obviously, this preacher didn't quite understand, nor had he ever spoken to our guest tonight, Steve Siefkin. In just a few minutes, Steve is going to share how it is that Yeshua is the Torah in the flesh and why knowing the difference between justification and sanctification really matters. It's a very important difference. Now, on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar, there you see we are right now. Now, please welcome my co-host, the CEO of Arud Awakening International, Ted Clayton. Well, thanks for having me here once again, Scott. And ladies and gentlemen, yes, indeed, you did make it through this week, and now it's time to relax. Go get a cup of coffee and a meal, sit down, and be with us as you get to watch Shabbat Night Live tonight. You know, Ted, that little story I told, I didn't tell you, oh, I didn't tell anyone else, but I'll tell you and I'll tell everyone else too, I guess at this point, okay. is that, uh, that immediately prior to that, that Pentecostal preacher coming in, yeah. um, it was it was a, a request of my pastor that he come in. This is the, he was, a, this guy was a prof at a Pentecostal college that my pastor had gone to. Really? And he called him in a panic to come in and, and give this message uh -huh. because the week prior, the pastor had gone on vacation mm -hmm. and he asked me to preach. I was the secretary to the board at the time, a little church of like 100 people. Yeah. And I said, okay, uh, what do you want me to teach on? He said, anything you want. Oh, that's a that's a hard thing when they says anything you want. Uh, and you this is right at the time when Yahovah had opened the eyes of my wife and myself to the Torah, and we were learning all kinds of stuff. Sure. And I was like, "Oh, Father, surely you don't want me to do this." And he was like, "Oh, yes, I do." Yeah. <laughs> so, oh no. So I stood up there, and it was a real basic message. It was about how we still need the Sabbath, how, you know, Christmas is nothing. Right. Uh, we need to pay attention to the Passover. And then there's these other things called the fall feast, yeah. really surface level stuff. Well, people during the week in the congregation started calling me. It's like, what about this? Well, I've never heard this before. What is this? Right. So we, we were, oh boy, what have we done? We've opened up a can of worms. So we started doing this and well, one thing led to another. This Pentecostal preacher came in basically to undo everything. Little did we know, so this little church typically had some empty seats in it. Sure. The weekend when this when this pastor came in, there 
was not an empty seat to be had because the local Torah community had caught in wind that this was coming, this was coming really? to our church. And they were going to come and ask him some questions about what he was going to preach on this Jesus and the Torah, never the twain shall meet. And so after the, after the, uh, the message, folks went up to him and said, can we ask you a few questions? He dodged everything and went out the door. You know, it, it's, it's amazing to me how um, just over the past couple of years even, the eyes of people have been opened wide. It's, it's almost as though, you know, people are like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to kind of watch Michael Rood and see what he actually said about the tour. <laughs> you know, I'm not telling anybody I'm doing that. I'm just going to kind of go in and I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch some of these videos and see. And you would be surprised how many modern day pastors, preachers, eyes are all of a sudden going, okay, they're open now. I'm starting to get a little of this. You yep. know, it's starting to make a little sense. Wait a minute. And I tell you, I, if I can relate a story real quick, one of my, one of my greatest um, stories, that I, and I call it the greatest Torah accomplishments, was when Pat Robertson went on the air at the 700 Club and said, now, folks, you guys realize that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. And I'm telling you, at our house, you could have heard a pin drop. Now, why was that? Because I had just started going to work with Michael Rood. And I was like, uh, wait a minute, Pat, what are you saying? Are you saying that you secretly watched Michael's show on uh, <laughs> Christmas and now you kind of get it? And you know what? All of a sudden, he started talking about the spring feasts. And I said, okay, now, wait a minute. Here is Pat Robinson, one of the leading evangelicals in the country, is now starting to talk and say, okay, well, you know, really, Jesus' birthday really wasn't on December 25th. And, you know, we really should be celebrating feast time. And I was just blown away. So it's, it's this kind of stuff where you see the eyes of people are being opened wide and seeing that there is truth out there and that, you know, maybe this Hebrew stuff isn't all bad. You know what I'm saying? Maybe there is a lot to this. And maybe it's something that we should be studying and not just poofing away. Yep. You know, my wife introduced me to a, it was a, a rap song that's making the, uh, the rounds right now. Mm -hmm. And it's about this, uh, I can't remember if he's a Christian rapper or not. And he's talking about how things are ramping up in the world. Obviously, if we watch the oh, news boy. or alternative Man, news, we know true. that. Yes. But he says uh, it's, when he re relates the fact that revelation is sort of being unfolded before our eyes, Absolutely. he says it's Yeshua time. He is not a Hebrew roots well, rapper, well, but he is. He, he says it's Yeshua time, y'all. Yeah. Something like that. You know, yeah. I, and I'll tell you something else too. Uh, that kind of reminds me. You need to go up and look at. Michael's, there's two great uh, charts and scrolls that Michael has done. And, you know, one is the 70 week ministry scroll. Love that. It's absolutely great. Shows everything in perspective. But the other is the revelation chart that Michael actually did for his wife, Anna Lil, as a, a special present for her. But then as you look at this and you unfold this, Man, it just opens Revelation. And buddy, I'm telling you, if we are not in Revelation times, we are certainly very soon to be at that. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, with all of the stuff, you know, wars, rumors of wars and stuff. Well, guess what? We're in a, there's a right. war right now. 
So, you know, it's never been a better time to get that chart. And I just wanted to throw that in there because it could really open your eyes on what's going on right now. Now, speaking of that chart and other teachings, and we yes. only do this once a year. Once a year. And Michael lets it go for one day. As you say, <laughs> as Michael says one. to me, you're killing me. Yeah. What? So what you, you got one day to do this. It's Mission Monday, guys. Yeah. Mission Monday is coming this That's Monday. Right. If you've been following this ministry for more than a year, you know what this is about. This is basically our Cyber Monday sale. Right. Two for one specials, 50% off practically almost anything. Right. Uh, Michael Rude Classics, uh, home decor for, for with you know, name of Yehovah well, and, and things like again, that. And once again, these things are these things are wonderful to share your faith with your family and friends because this is this just opens the opportunity for yep. you to be able to talk about. It. Oh, and share stuff because we have two yeah. for one deals. So get one for you, one for your friends, that you kind bet. of thing. You can double your buying power. That's one of the most positive, uh, most popular things we have coming up as well. And so it all comes Monday, November 28, 9 a.m. We've got 12 deals. We will release one every hour. That's right. And uh, uh, you know, there's some limited quantities on some of these things, so you got to get it while you can. Well, you know, it's like they say, where they're gone, they're gone. Right. And this is a wonderful time. Some of these things uh, that you can get on Mission Monday will never come back. Right. So you've got to come and be a part of Mission Monday with us because, ladies and gentlemen, these things are just fantastic. Absolutely. So that's coming up Monday. And coming up next is Steve Siefkin. Steve Siefkin explains why knowing the difference between justification and sanctification helps us to understand what the Messiah's role was and what we are obligated to do in return. First, it's the Kiddush with Michael, so get up and get your wine and bread. Idols are not the only type of gods. In fact, when the Bible refers to the gods of this world, it's referring to people at the head of every nation, the government. But what happens when these little gods do not submit to the big God, Yehovah? Every nation is supposed to follow Israel's example, learn from their good and learn from their bad. And that's what mm. we should be doing right now. And right now we're going away from what God set up, and you know how that ends up. It's yeah. not, not a good thing. In a fascinating and eye-opening presentation, Steve Siefkin reveals how the principles of the Torah are not just a matter of faith, but a matter of national law and order, specifically in the United States. The Ten Commandments in America is a special teaching from Michael Rood, our gift to thank you for supporting A Rood Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in November, we'll send you The Ten Commandments in America with Steve Siefkin on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you two gifts, The Ten Commandments in America, plus a Western wall decoration made of soil from the Holy Land, depicting Psalm 137 verse 5 in Hebrew. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts, The Ten Commandments in America, The Western wall decoration, and a silver-plated Shabbat wine fountain with eight Kiddush cups and an elegant grapevine pattern. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Rood Awakening International in November. Call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com.
on Friday, the sixth day of the week, the markets in Jerusalem are filled with challah that is done differently than it is any other day of the week. On that day, the challah is covered with honey and it is covered with raisins because it is a shadow picture of when the Messiah reigns upon the earth in the Sabbath day or the Sabbath millennium when life on earth will be sweet. Yeshua, the last night that he had with his disciples before his crucifixion, he took bread and he blessed the Most High and he said, Baruch atah Yehovah Eloheinu melech ha'olam, hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he said, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so the sanctification of the Sabbath, the Kiddush that we do, sets apart this day and sets apart this very thing that we had rehearsed from the time that Yeshua gave this to his disciples. And then Yeshua blessed the Most High with this blessing that Melech Zadik said to Abraham when he blessed the Most High. Baruch atah Yehovah Eloheinu Malach HaOlam Berei Pri Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, the King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this represents the renewed covenant paid for in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. With that, we do exhibit the Lord's death and what he paid for our redemption until he comes. So you're watching Shabbat Night Live, and if you watch Shabbat Night Live for a while, you know what the deal is, and you try and explain the deal to others who are just coming into this type of thing. So how do you explain the hard verses? How do you explain that the new covenant, well, it's kind of the old covenant, we need to still obey God. How do we do that when we have verses that say, well, Jesus nailed the law to the cross, or so that's understood to be. So what do we do with this? Steve Siefkin, welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. Hopefully we can clear up some of this today. Oh, I'd love to, and uh, thank you for having me back. I Certainly. really appreciate being here, and uh, it's a neat stuff. experience. That's good stuff. I mean, this is really neat. This is really an interesting way to think about things. If folks have missed the first couple of episodes, we've been talking about how uh, the law of God is not... Well, it is, it is a religious law, but we need to think of it as a, almost like a, a law of a country. And when you said that, all of a sudden, a lot of words in the Bible made more sense to me. And it just sort of, it's one of those things that, you know, it takes away all the mystery, you know? Yes, once I started thinking like that, I'm telling you the New Testament lit up. Mm. It just lit up with God's law everywhere and things started making so much sense. Um, 
you know, I, I see the Bible as a, a law book. It's written in, in legal code. It's, it's a book of law that um, a nation should use to follow. And we used to do that two, 300 years ago. Mm-hmm. Lawyers would write about it. They called it divine law. And, and until we go back to seeing it that way, I think some of these verses we're going to construe in a slightly different way. The way I would put it, we construe it in a religious way mm-hmm. instead of a lawful way or a legal way. And uh, that's what I'm trying to do is just try to share the things I've learned that have opened my eyes to why God's law is so good for us today. Now, you're a middle school teacher, and so today we want to teach the teachers because our audience on Shabbat Night Live, there's some smart cookies, and they're trying to teach folks in their realms about what do we do with these difficult verses about believers obeying the, the law of God in the New Covenant. So can you explain how we do this? Sure. I titled this, Why Practice the Law in the New Testament? And uh, when I first started believing this, it was clear some verses sounded like they were saying, oh, we should keep God's commandments. But then there were some that just didn't make sense. Mm. So what I wanted to do is go through some of those verses that clearly teach you should do this. You should keep God's commandments because... Those verses are irrefutable. They, they directly say you should keep God's commandments. The other verses that are often cited, off point and out of context, when you really study them, they don't say what we think they say. Mm. And we use them by citing one verse. Wow, when you get the context, it doesn't say that at all. We mentioned you know, Acts chapter 10, which is one I'm not com- coming uh, to in a minute. Um, th- that sheet of all the unclean animals to eat, the interpretation's given for us. Mm. Peter gave us the interpretation, and it's not go ahead and eat. Right. If we just go meat. ahead and read the verses <laughs> after that, we'd get that. Yes, and, and that's the way a lawyer would study and prepare for trial. Yep. You're not going to use, that's called off point. Mm. If it's off point, if the point is not about what you're talking about, you can't even consider it for that topic. Mm. So if we're talking about dietary laws, you would never be able to consider Acts chapter 10, because that's about racial discrimination. Mm. And no judge would ever let it into evidence. Yet we do it all the time in, when we're studying the scripture. And I, I wanted to just look at that today, if you don't mind. Please. So, All right. Believe it or not, the New Testament is full of verses that command us to practice God's law. Everywhere. It's over and over again. In fact, I mentioned the New Testament lights up. And you just like, wow, look at the law. It's, it's everywhere. The Messiah said to, and this is the most powerful one, and we've already spoken about it a little bit. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 18, it says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. If you stop there, some people have used to say, well, Jesus fulfilled it for me, so I don't have to. But that is not within the context at all. Because he said, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And we look at that and go, well, I don't get that, so let's just yeah, we just whatever. dismiss we just it. Glaze over it, yeah. <laughs> but a jot and a tittle, as you, I'm sure you know, is they're the smallest strokes of the Hebrew alphabet. He's really endorsing God's law here. And he says, you know, if you can see heaven above, the sky above, and you can see the earth beneath you, God's law still stands. That's a good and way I put that challenge out to anybody. If there's a sky above you and an earth under your feet, I think We're our Messiah done. is saying this law <laughs> yeah. still applies. And I would even say every jot and tittle, mm. every aspect of God's law is for today. The only thing that you might be able to get rid of are those penalties we've spoken of, mm-hmm. the curse of the law. But remember, the law is not a curse. The law has a curse. So that part is removed in the Messiah. He's gotten rid of those penalties 
And who wants the penalties? That's what we want. But God's law, the mm. book of the law, is for our good always. The next few verses, he says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Our Messiah is brilliant. He put it right in the right context. It's sanctification. The law is not for justification. It's for sanctification. We're justified by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. We're sanctified by being obedient to his commandments. Over and over again through the Torah, sanctification is obedience to the law. The New Testament is the same thing. Mm. Justification never, the law does not say it's for our justification. It's only for our sanctification. So sanctification is an ongoing process. Justification was one and done. Yes. One of my slides, and we're not going to get to it, says there's three parts to salvation. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Mm. We're justified when we put our faith in the Messiah, the death, burial, and resurrection. We're acquitted. It's over. Sin forgiven. Now from that point, we need to walk in God's commandments. That's sanctification. When we die, we're going to be given a resurrected body. That's glorification. We'll be just like him. Our sin problem's over. We've got a new body. We're a new person. We don't have that that race we've been running. We've succeeded. We're there. Mm. And that's the three-part process to salvation. The law is in sanctification. We need to... Mm. Run that race and learn how to keep God's commandments. That's what we're trying to do. Today. You know, it's not like going to uh, like like college. So you, you do an entrance exam to get into college. So that's your justification. Then you've got to do the studies throughout college. That's your sanctification. And once you're done, you get graduation. There's your glorification. Yeah. I'd like to add to that. You didn't do the entrance exam. The Messiah did it for you. Mm. That's the difference. That's what he took care of for us. We... Couldn't do it. We failed. He did that for us. But that does not remove our obligation, our duty to keep God's commandments. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 is still valid today. A few more verses that the Messiah said. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Over and over again, he said it. Um, If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Then the apostle said also, the apostle Paul, and he's the one that gets misconstrued all the time, but how would he have said stuff like, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good if it's bad for us? Mm -hmm. Now the penalties might be bad for us, but he's talking about the book of the law here. And the penalties really aren't bad for us. It's to correct our course. That's what it is. Romans 2.13 says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Hmm. Hmm. Faith requires obedience. Did you really believe if it didn't change who you are? Right? Um, you That's have good. to. You have to actually believe. Um, there was a story we used to sh- uh, share. I used to go with a, a street witnessing group, and we'd talk about faith and how it changes you. We never applied it to the law, but we just applied it to it needs to change you. And it was this story of... Um, Let's say this guy's walking a tightrope over the Grand Canyon. He says, hey, how many of you guys think I can go across the Grand Canyon? Everyone raises their hand and says, yeah, I can go across. And you go across and come back. And everyone cheers, says, wow, that was awesome. How many of you guys think I can go across with this wheelbarrow? 
Everyone raised their hand and said, yeah, I think you can go across and come back. Everyone's cheering. That was amazing. I can't believe you made it. How many of you guys think I can go across with a person in the wheelbarrow? Everyone says, yeah, I think you do it. Okay, who's coming? Not a hand raised. <laughs> <laughs> Who believed? Good one. Yes. Finally, one kid says, I'll do it, runs up and jumps in the wheelbarrow and says, let's go. Who believed? Mm. That one kid believed because it produced actions. It produced fruit. The works of the laws, James. Faith without works is dead. Everyone else had dead faith. They really didn't believe it. They just wanted to see it. But that one kid, he had faith that, uh, yeah, I think you could do it and I'm going to prove it by my actions. Mm. And that's what faith is. We missed that second part. That's what James is talking about. So that's what Paul means, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law are just before God. It doesn't exclude faith. You started with faith. He goes on to say, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. I think we talked about this one also. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Mm. Well, what is the definition of sin? John says it's breaking God's commandments. For this is the, for sin is the transgression of the commandments. So read that again. What shall we say then? Shall we continue breaking God's law that grace may abound? God forbid. He's mm. directly saying we shouldn't keep breaking God's law. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Under the law means under the curse of the law. Mm. I'm not under the United States Code right now. If I drive home and I get a ticket, now I'm under the United States Code. Mm. I have a penalty to pay. That's the difference. We owe a penalty we can't pay. Mm. Under the law is under the penalties. We're no longer under the penalties. Christ, the Messiah, got rid of those for us. The law is still there. The book of the law is still there. Yep. Hmm. The Messiah's brother James said too over and over again, and we're going to look at this now because I, I, I can't believe I used to miss this all the time. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, so we're supposed to look into God's perfect law of liberty and continue in it. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. What is the work James is talking about? Clearly it's keeping the law. We sit there and think, oh, faith without works. Well, he's not talking about the works of the law. He's talking about just being a good person. Mm-hmm. No, he's all through the book of James. He's talking about the works of the yeah, law. And the perfect law of liberty is, is that new law that, yeah. that Jesus gave us after he resurrected. <laughs> what, what is that? I, know, that I haven't found it yet. I've been looking <laughs> for it. I have not found that new law. Yeah, and I know. Apparently really the law, the Torah, gives us liberty. It's freedom. It's freedom. The and, law is freedom. Yeah, it absolutely is. That's why it's called the, Well, just think about what happened at the Exodus. We're going to take you out of bondage and bring you to my law. We're leaving bondage and we're going to what James called the perfect law of liberty. It's freedom. Ha. It's, it, it's what America did too. We left bondage. You know, that might be a harsh term, but. The bondage of we had, England. Yep. England, they had, we had taxation without, we had all the same stuff similar to what Israel had. And we left. You know, it, it's not always the exact same order, but God's dealing with every nation 
based on what the people are looking for, what we want. If we want to be obedient, he's going to find a way. Mm. He's going to, and, and if we have a mass of people that want to, he'll exit us another nation to a place where they can start again. That's exactly what America did. In fact, that's that's next week if we get to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to it. I can't leave that hanging. <laughs> but he goes on, if you if ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's, he's quoting Leviticus 19.18. Mm. But if you have respect to persons, that's not, Leviticus 19.15, He's quoting the laws. He's talking about what these works are. You'll be convinced of the law's transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, I was surprised at this when I actually shared this at a Bible study on part of a few Tuesdays ago. Um, it, it says the exact opposite of what we think. Mm. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. I used to say that all the time. See, we don't need to keep it. If you just break one, you're guilty. All that matters, you're guilty You're guilty of all of it, so who cares? Right. That's kind of what I used to think. It's impossible, so why try? Yeah, and, yeah. and he goes on, though. The very next verse, For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit a, no adultery, yet if thou kill, you are become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Hmm. We're going to be judged by this law as to whether we're keeping it or not. The truth is the only way we can keep it is something called faith. You got to really believe it. And I, I know you've been through this. Once I believed these dietary laws are good for me. I know I keep using that example. That's a big one for most people. They're good for me. Now I just want to do it. My faith, I want to do it. I can't right. wait till I can start keeping those. It becomes and a party. Yeah, now as I read God's law, oh, there's another one. I'm not doing, I got to figure out how to do this one. And now I want to learn that one and start being obedient. It's just, that's what sanctification is. Hmm. Even so, faith, he finishes, if it has not works, is dead being alone. What else are the works he's talking about other than the works of the law that he was just explaining? Hmm. It's clear, faith without the works of the law is dead. Right. And then what we focus on as, as Christians, before we realize what's going on here, is we focus on, well, I can't be saved by my works. So that means I shouldn't do them because if, I try, if, I'm, if I'm doing the works, I'm trying to be saved by them. And people just can't seem to wrap their head around that. Yeah. No, it, it, that's the difference between justification and sanctification. The law goes in sanctification. The law will never save you. You and I, we can't be good enough to earn our salvation. It's impossible. But... Someone can forgive us of our sin, pay our debt, and we can start getting back on track. Yeah. And that grace is there, but we should never take advantage of that grace. We should never take advantage of that grace. We should try everything we can to be obedient to our Heavenly Father and do His will, do His commandments. Yeah, we're not absolved from obeying. That's, <laughs> we're yeah, absolved no. from the penalty. Not, <laughs> yeah. Good point. There's a few other verses I really like that tell us to... They're, they're verses that you just don't pick up right away. But in Acts 21, Paul was at the temple and it's, he said, And when they heard it, they glorified uh, the Lord and said unto him, See, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who, who believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of you, Paul, that you teach all the Jews, which are among the Gentiles, to forsake Moses. So they're telling him, hey... You're telling people to forsake Moses and, and not get circumcised and walk after uh, the customs and basically the Torah. What is it, therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that you are come. Paul was a bigwig. He was someone that 
Well, someone. In, he was, we called him previously the lawyer of all lawyers. Yeah, so like, he, yeah. he was someone who uh, knew what he was doing. So what they suggested, they said, do therefore this thing uh, that we say to you. We have four men which have a vow on them. This is a Nazarite vow. Them take and purify yourself with them and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. So they said, hey, hmm. why don't you do this vow with them? Do a sacrifice even and an offering just to show everybody that you still keep the law. What do you think Paul did? He did the vow. Mm-hmm. Then Paul took them in and the next day purifying himself with them entered into the temple to signify the accomplishing of the days of purification until that an offering should be offering for every one of them. Right here, it's direct evidence saying we should keep God's commandments. And I would even argue, it's a topic for a different time. He did an offering. He did a sacrifice after this Messiah ended all sacrifices. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. To but the, it does when you look at the Bible this way through right. the eyes of a lawyer. It really will. But that's a topic for a different day. Because, well, because it, let's that. dive into that a little bit. But I mean, that's because, you know, when we were looked at when we looked at this, when we were, you know, believers before we knew all of this, it, it was well. If Paul really was who we thought he was, he would have said, "Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> Messiah was my final sacrifice. Yes. That's it. I, no, I'm not going to sacrifice." <laughs> to your point, he did. There, there's four or five examples in the Book of Acts where the apostles, especially the apostle Paul, did sacrifices. Mm-hmm. I think we misunderstand the sacrificial system. And yeah. it, it, it's a topic I thoroughly enjo- uh, enjoy, but um, you know, well, well, maybe we have to that's come not ba- what this story we'll is talking about. We'll have to have you come about, back so. sometime and talk all about that, I think. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. That would be That's my favorite topic, and I, w- I think we could uh, go somewhere with it. But well, hang on to that next sure. point you want to make here. We're going to just stop for a break, and uh, since you're the, the teacher teaching the teachers, <laughs> we're going to turn to the teachers for a second and say thank you for bringing the teacher here. And in order for us to continue this, we need your support. So thank you for doing that. This allows others to see it into the future. Yes, we're learning from Steve. You're going to take this and teach other folks, but those other folks whom you never touch are going to see it on YouTube. They're going to see it on other places and that only happens through your donations. That's the only reason we have people here that can make this happen is through your donations. So we ask you to continue that so that others can see this into the future. Those folks who will never encounter you but they may see it on YouTube, you can help do that as well with your donations. We'll give you a couple minutes to do that and we thank you in advance. Well, thank you for making Shabbat Night Live happen. You are the teachers. We're going to turn to the teacher of the teachers and continue what we were talking about. So Paul obeyed the law to the point of doing sacrifices, which, to your point, we'll get into another time. But uh, there's lots of other examples of how we should be obeying God's law in the New Testament. And you have something from Ephesians you wanted to get to. Yes, I wanted to share one more verse that we commonly mistake to be saying that we don't need to keep the law. But uh, it actually says we should. And then I want to go through some of the most common ones that tell us, uh, that are used to say, hey, the law is abolished. It's nailed to the cross. That's one of them. We don't need to keep it anymore. And the truth is it doesn't say that. But I think that'll be really helpful for <laughs> folks to learn this one. This will be good. In fact, I've, on my website, I've got probably a dozen different articles. The first thing I wanted to do was tackle this. Because as I started believing, wow, we need to keep these commandments I got to answer some questions because I knew of these verses. I'm like, what about this? What about Colossians 2, Ephesians 2? Don't those directly say you don't need to keep the commandments? They don't. 
And I've written several articles to try to answer that so people can go to. I'm only going to cover a few today, but the, there's dozens that are commonly used and they really don't say what people think they say. Mm. But look at this one. This is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's probably the most second popular verse in the Bible. John 3, 16 is the most popular probably. This is, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. People are always saying, hey, we're saved by grace, not works. None of the works of the law, and that's true. It's, it's justification by faith alone through the work that the Messiah did on the cross. But what's missed often in this verse is the sanctification part. Right at the end it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Well, where are these good works? Which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Where did God before ordain that we should walk in them? All over the Torah, that phrase is used. You shall walk in my law. You shall walk in my commandments. Mm. You shall walk in my statutes. He's quoting it. In fact, I've got all the verses I could find scrolling up underneath it. And I highlighted the word walk. Paul is quoting the Torah saying, where should we go from here? You should walk in my commandments. These are the the. Um, the good word, uh, the good works that God, no, excuse me, I said that wrong. <laughs> These are the good works that God before ordained that we should walk in them. Mm. And it's right there in the Torah, right there in God's law, over and over again. He even uses the same phrase, walk in these commandments. You know, it's funny that, so before ordained, that word before is what we should, yeah. what we need to pay attention to. Like you said, where? Before. Before yeah. ordained, he's already spoken to these things. He gave them. It's yes. his Torah. Come on. I always interpreted that as before time began and eternity's past, God had this That's magical what I was work for too. me to do individually. And it's just for me, catered to me. And the truth is, no, this is a quote from the Torah. God said, these are my commandments that I want you to walk in. So the whole point of that mm -hmm. verse is you've got grace to get back to walking in God's commandments. And until we see it that way, we're... We're not going to start doing that. It's you can't keep God's law begrudgingly. You got to believe it. You got to want to do it, mm. and uh, it, otherwise you're going to fail, just like the old covenant did. That's great. I, I don't think I've ever heard it explained like that. That's excellent. I think it's well. Uh, it's pretty good. clear now, isn't it? It, it is it, very it's like, clear. Wow, that's exactly what it says. That's why I wanted to make sure I got that one in, even though we got it in after the break, but we got <laughs> it in anyways. Um, there's some confusing verses, though, and I really want to tackle some of these because people misunderstand them, but they say the same thing that we've been talking about the whole time. Uh, most of the difficulty revolves around the Apostle Paul and his writings. In fact, many today discredit Paul's writings. Have you ever heard someone that says that? Well, I don't need, I just, I want to remove him from my Bible because he dismisses the law. The truth is he doesn't dismiss the law at all. In fact, if you don't keep Paul's writings in, you're going to misunderstand much of the law because mm. of who he was. Look at his resume. Peter said, even as our beloved Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you, has also in all his epistles speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Mm. Peter's saying Paul's hard to get because 
People who are unlearned and unstable rest his words. Well, that kind of implies Paul's learned and stable. Well, what's he learned and stable? And look at his resume. Philippians 3, 5 through 6. He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. This guy, Paul, was something special. In fact, Acts 22.3 says, Yet he was brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel would be like the Harvard Law of their day. He was the best lawyer around. If you were trained at his feet in the law, you were something special. You were... No. You were a prodigy. Yeah. yeah so it wasn't like, you know, you go to any old law school that, great. But if you have Harvard Law on the back of your wall, that really means something. And that's what Gamaliel was. He was mm. taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. And that means a whole lot. In fact, if you look, we can see what his occupation was. Um, he had a job in, in the temple, I think. Uh, and, and this is where looking at it like a lawyer would look at it um, and trying to use modern legal definitions. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Well, the high priest today would be like our chief justice of the Supreme Court. The temple was a judicial system. That's where all the Levites were the judges and they, it was a tiered judicial system, went all the way to the gates of the city. He went into the high priest and he desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogue. Well, he asked for a bench warrant to go arrest some people. That if he be found, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. He's going to persecute them or the way we'd say it today is prosecute them. Paul was probably a prosecuting attorney hmm. trained under the feet of Gamaliel and he went out to arrest these people. He persecuted. We, we, we see that as bad. We see the word persecute as, well, they got beat up and they stoned them and all that. Well, that's the way law worked back then. We don't do that in America. We're much softer and gentler of a legal system here. And, and we kind of reap some consequences because people get away with stuff now. But back then, yeah, they, when they prosecuted you, it was physical. Mm. It wasn't prosecution was yeah. persecution. Yeah, so <laughs> persecution. I see that word as the same thing. Prosecution. Mm. And if you look it up, and I should have put it on here, but you look up the definition, it means to pursue someone. Mm. Um, I'm speaking off the cuff here, so don't hold me to that definition. But I'm pretty sure <laughs> that's what it means. I don't have it in front of me. Um, but yeah, that's who Paul was. So mm. his writings are hard to understand, and I think we need to consider that. In fact, Hosea four six says, "My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge." What knowledge are we destroyed for? We have forgotten the law of your God. Mm. Paul knew the law of God and he started teaching it right. We need to listen to him. Okay, let's understand some of these difficult verses. Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council. Mm, that's a big one. That's always pointed out. Hey, they already made this decision. You don't need to keep the law. But it's not at all what he said. In fact, I just love the way they answered this question for us. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. The first point to bring out is this is salvation. This is justification. They're talking about is the law, is being circumcised for justification. We already know it's not. 
I mean, that, that it's not even the topic that it's trying to be used for, but let's, let's mm. entertain that for a second anyways, right? Um, he continues, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came to to came, came together for to consider this matter. So they came together at a synagogue in Jerusalem to consider the matter. It might have been at the temple. I didn't really. They came together at Jerusalem to figure out what do we do about this? We see this as some church meeting in some house. No, this is the courtroom. This is a judicial system. Th these guys are part of the government. That's, that's what we don't reckon. Synagogues had a judgment seat to give out judgments. That's why they had a judgment seat. The book of Acts talks about Sothesenes being beat on the judgment seat. Mm -hmm. So they're making a legal decision here. The gavel's going down and they're going to make a decision. And it's a real decision. And if you look after it, they send a letter to all the churches to know. This is a legal letter. Say, hey, this is the decision of the court. And that's, that's, mm -hmm. that's what we need to realize about this, I think. So let's see what they decided. First, Peter spoke. He said, God used Peter to reach the Gentiles. They obviously have the Holy Spirit. I'm not reading the verse. The Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believed. God gave them the Holy Spirit. Now, therefore, why tempt you, God, to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they will. We're still talking about salvation here, right? What was the yoke? It was keeping the law for salvation. That's what Peter's talking about. Yeah, you never, no one can do that. The Messiah is the only one that did that, but he paid the price anyways. So we're still talking about justification here. We're going to get to sanctification in just a second. James made the conclusion. All right, he agreed with Peter, first of all. Then he quoted the prophets for support. Then his conclusion is, wherefore my sentence is this. That word sentence, just to go back to what we were talking about, is a judicial sentence. Mm. It's what the word actually means. That we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they should abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. So they said, do not trouble the Gentiles. Start them off with these four laws. What's funny is two of them are dietary laws. Strangled meat, you keep the blood inside and you eat the blood. Right. And eating blood, it, it's, it's their dietary laws is what they're starting them off with. Most people don't object to idolatry and fornication, but there's two dietary laws he told the Gentile church to keep. Mm -hmm. And we kind of want to reject the dietary laws today. But it's interesting what he said next. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every day. He said... Do not trouble the Gentiles. Start them off with these four laws. They will learn the rest as they go to the Sabbath service at the synagogue. You can't tell me that a synagogue in Jerusalem at this time didn't teach the entire Mosaic law. They taught every jot and diddle of the Mosaic law. They wouldn't have skipped anything. Mm. They told them, you need to go to the Sabbath service to learn the rest. And it's pretty clear. Four, that word four means because of all this, this is what you should do. That's what the Greek word means. There is no doubt that this, this synagogue taught all of God's law. This is what leads me to believe, and I say this in a lot of my articles on my website, we have grace to learn God's law, not to break it. Mm. That's just a different way of looking at it. We don't have grace to break the law. I used to think, oh, it's, I'm good. I know I broke the law, but I can eat you know, this and I can do that. 
but I have grace. I'm good. It's okay. We don't have grace to break God's law. We have grace as we learn it. We're supposed to go to the Sabbath service, go to the synagogue and learn the law and start keeping it. That's kind of the whole point. Yep. And, and we miss that. And just a simple study of the Jerusalem Council, when you conclude, it puts everything in the right place. No, the law is not for salvation. It's not for justification. But yes, we're supposed to start with someone. And I don't even think we need to do those four. But something, I started with the Ten Commandments on my door and my lawn. That's what I started with because that's what I knew I could do. And I just, I got to start somewhere. I don't think that's the magic formula, but it, it's a good start. And then you got to start going somewhere, teaching God's law and learning it and being obedient. You know, it's, it's, I think when Christians get into these hard verses, we think too much about it. We get ourselves in circles where it's not that difficult. It's not that hard to understand. <laughs> we make it too hard. You know, and that's just it. If we explain it like this, I'm thinking, well, gosh, what's the big deal? It, it's, it's pretty it's easy. super clear to me now. This is what I mean. The, the New Testament lights up with God's law everywhere, hmm. but in the right context. You know, I, I say this a lot to friends of mine. We need to be open-minded about stuff. Um, the Pharisees were 1,300 years after Moses, and uh, they had it all wrong. We're 2,000 years after the Messiah, but for some reason we assume we got it all right. <laughs> Maybe we should take a step back and say, hmm, let me reconsider some of this, because we've had 2,000 years of the church going back and forth and changing things and mm -hmm. doing things differently, and maybe we should just Try to be a blank slate and just look at the scripture and see what it says. It's really hard to do, but I think that's what we need to do. And I think we'll, it seems very clear to me when I'm looking at it this way. And it gives you all the answers. The difference is you got to learn to love God's law. Mm. If you don't want to love God's law, if you don't want to change your life, it is going to be hard changing. I, most people go through, you know, I never tell anyone stop doing Christmas. Because I know it's going to disrupt their family. I always tell them, start doing the holy days. Over time, something might work itself out. Yeah. But the key is do the holy days. You probably don't want to do yeah, Christmas after a while. That's what happened to me. Yeah. Over time, we stopped doing Christmas. But it, I just want to do the holy days. Focus there. That's where our eye, we've got to get our eye on the ball and yeah. start focusing on that. And that's 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 the most important thing. That's good. Well, what else we got? There's more okay, than let's, one here. Let's move on. There's, yeah. uh, I, this one's important to me because... It's used so often, but Colossians chapter two is probably, it's very misunderstood, I think. And uh, I'd like to go through it because it's probably the most often quoted verse it says, we don't need to keep the law. Colossians 2.14 and Ephesians 2.15 is what I want to go through. Um, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. First of all, this word ordinances is not the word for God's law. Should end right there, but that, that, that's not the way we look at that. Um, since when was God's law contrary to us? Mm. Mm. Never. We're not talking about God's law here. And I think often we look at this as, well, these are the penalties. And I don't even think it's the penalties. And you know I'm a fan of that already. Where the penalties are misunderstood and God's law has the book of the law and the penalties. But the ordinance is it's the word dogma. It means a law, decree, or ordinance. It's used 14 times in the Septuagint. Every single time, it's a secular law. Mm. It's not God's law. It's some king or some governor. 
made up law. Mm. And uh, it doesn't mean the law was wrong. It's just, it's not Torah. Right. It always refers to secular laws. It's used five times in the New Testament. Three times it clearly refers to secular laws. The other two times are Colossians 2 and Ephesians 2. Hmm. hmm, maybe we should relook at those verses and see if it's more consistently secular laws, because it, it quite clearly is. The context always gives us the answer. So if we go a few verses earlier, this is verse 8. The verses we were at is uh, Colossians 2, 14 and 15. Mm -hmm. That's nailing it out of, uh, nailing it to his cross. Verse 8 is where this kind of starts. It says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. What we're talking about is the tradition of men and the rudiments of the world. Does that sound like God's law to you? Nope, man-made. <laughs> it clearly sounds like man-made, yeah. doesn't it? The end of it is, is clearer than the beginning. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ, this is verse 20 and 22, from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, dogma? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Right here, we're clearly talking about the commandments and doctrines of men. In fact, this phrase, touch not, taste not, handle not, that's a mantra from the Talmud. You'll mm. find those phrases throughout the Talmud. This is the tradition huh. of the elders that the Pharisees were, were pushing on people. And I'm going to demonstrate that. This is The word ordinances here, it's not the exact same word as dogmatizo. It's a version of that word. It means to prescribe by statute. So this is a law added to God's law. It's a statute mm. we're prescribing after the fact. God's law is the law of the land. It's the base law that every nation should have. What you add on top of that is the key. If you, if you add laws on top of it that are consistent with it, we're good. Right. It's when we go away from it that we have a problem. So let's look at the key verse that's here. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. When did he do that? Principalities and powers. Well, those are used to refer to someone in authority. It means chief. That's what principalities means. It's RK. Powers is escusia. It means a magistrate, potentate, authority. It's used to refer to someone in authority. Question, when and who did the Messiah do this to? Who are these people in authority that he made a show openly of? Well, constantly to the Pharisees. Just this one verse out of all of them where he hammered the Pharisees in the gospel. He says, why do you tra also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? This is Matthew 15, 1 through 9. Later in the verses here, thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Colossians is talking about the tradition of the elders, the commandments of and doctrines of men. Wow, that that's I mean, that's a perfect way to explain it. And I think we've uh, taught the teachers something here today. <laughs> so you take that to others. Now you take this and you explain it the way that Steve did because I think that's brilliant. I think we have more to talk about. Could you come back next week and and, and finish this up? Would that be all right? Absolutely. I would okay, love great. To. All right, you join us too. Thank you for joining us on Shabbat Night Live. Steve Siefkin has been our. Our guest today, if you want to know more, go to answerwithamatter.org and learn all of the uh, other things we haven't even touched today. There's a ton of stuff there. I think you'll love it. So answerwithamatter.org, and you can also go on YouTube, search that same uh, phrase, and you
you will find Steve there. All right, thanks again. We'll see you next time on Shabbat Night Live.